1: Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay. I'm delighted to say I'm joined this week by a domestic double so good they're probably worthy of a trophy parade themselves. That's right, <laughs> it's Mentality Monster, Samuel Luckhurst. Thank you for that introduction, Rich. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. And It's nice to welcome George Smith to the podcast for the first time. George, how are you?
2: I'm very well, Rich. How's things with yourself? Probably... Not the best weekend for you with your rectum affiliations.
1: No, it was, uh, yeah, my Saturday is probably even worse than Liverpool fans' Saturday, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, I think we should all unite in maybe ribbing the Merseyside team instead. And, Samuel, I mean, losing a European Cup final, Oligon and Solskjaer did it, all the greats do it. Um, yeah, it's probably one of the highlights of the United season, wasn't it? The fact that Liverpool's quadruple ended with a domestic double.
0: Well, I think Carlo Ancelotti is probably... Edged Michael Carrick as United's manager of the season as well for seeing off City in the semi-final and and Liverpool in the final. Uh, UEFA might want to build a, a monument to him just for seeing off the, the Sports Washing trio in the knockout rounds prior to the to, to the Liverpool game as well. Um, yeah, yeah as, as Gary Neville said, I think for United supporters, it doesn't matter if United are good, bad, ugly, whatever. Uh, Liverpool losing a major final is is always bound to be celebrated by them. And it, it is peculiar that, I mean, Liverpool are an absolutely brilliant side. Nobody's disputing that. Um, that, that. They're coming up with points tallies that in ordinary seasons would win the Premier League. Uh, the Premier League title which makes it even
1: sweeter I suppose
0: I, I suppose it does yeah especially for, for Evertonians and, and United fans and t- to be honest quite quite a lot of, lot of other um, opposition supporters but the fact that this season is ending with them emulating George Graham's domestic <laughs> double of uh, the, the 92-93 season which I suppose is a sort su- subject for, for George um, although it would have been a long time before he was born given that it was Sheffield Wednesday they, they beat in those two finals uh, but it's it's very very strange that these, as you say, these mentality monsters, these um, uh, the deified uh, players, this deified squad, um, ended the season with just two two domestic cups, and then they embarked on quite a, a vivid open top bus parade on on Sunday, which I, I found quite peculiar. Really, that they that they still went ahead with that. I mean, a lot of teams have had much better seasons and and haven't embarked on that. I think United probably could have been forgiven, particularly given the way it's gone at United the last nine years. They could have been forgiven for having um, an open-top bus parade in 2017 when they they won the Europa League uh, to get back in the Champions League, but they didn't. And you know, it's it's just quite reassuring in this this era, as I said, that where there's so much pretentious intellectualising going on in football, that Real Madrid just won the Champions League because they're Real Madrid. I mean, Ancelotti for four or five years was was a busted flush as a manager, and then he somehow gets the gig back there. He's he obviously inherits a, a brilliant bunch of of players and some special talents coming through, and. The, the run they had to, to to the especially in the knockout stage was was extraordinary i don't think that that's ever been better in in as far as a champions league winner or a european cup winner goes united had a very impressive uh, run in in 99 from the group stage to the final but the the sheer um, daunting task the, the just how daunting those tasks real madrid had in each knockout stage and if anything the final was probably well not not probably. It was the most comfortable of of all those um, all those seven knockout ties that they had. So it's it's testament to, as I said, Ancelotti's man management and and also the insatiable desire of those players to want to win another Champions League. Most a lot of them already had four. They they wanted a fifth. Uh, they've they've all been great players for Real Madrid, and they'll they'll be considered as legends by Real Madrid fans for As long as they live, as well. So, uh, it was it was a good a good end to a bad season for, for United fans. That's for certain.
1: And George, I suppose to bring it even further to United as well. It only highlights just how amazing United were in '99. You know, to have that mentality to to win all those trophies. Obviously, there's mitigation has always got to be a bit of luck, but it really does. You know, once again, move fire up that debate of who the greatest team of all, all time are.
2: Of course, and obviously it was a completely different era back then to what it is now. Football's evolved massively in the way the game's played and the the shape of players and the way they attack games and things like that. But I think obviously with United, obviously that sort of team, that era, it was obviously players of such a historic hill, Paul Scholes, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Teddy Sheringham, players of that image and that mould, kind of that history of that Man United side, where I think it will always be difficult for anybody to, to top that era, to be honest with you. Obviously, there's a lot more money in football now than there was back then and players have improved significantly with that. But I think that Man United side of 99, I don't think it will ever be beaten. And even if, say, Man City go and go and get a treble next season or whatever, with obviously them so close, you feel to the, to the Champions League at long last. But I just think that United era, there was just something so poignant about it, something so special where you kind of think nothing will ever top that because of the way the game's evolved and, and things like that. Obviously, the circumstance of it in 99 with the drama in the in the new Camp as well. I just can't see anything ever topping it. But United, for me, that treble-winning side will, will remain the pinnacle of, the, of a, of a treble-winning team. And will it ever be re- replicated by anybody in this country? Time will tell. But Liverpool, obviously, they gave it a good go. They were close. But I think even if they had done it, I still think the United side of that era would have would have remained the, the elite level treble winning side. Samuel,
1: as you said there as well, you know, it's been weird because in terms of our week gone, it's been quite a good week for United fans. Obviously, it started with Ten Hog's official unveiling, and then they've had, you know, Liverpool's demise on the Saturday night and they've and the way that's all unfolded. But you know, it it does feel like United fans have a bit of a spring in their step back. Again, you know, we've got this long summer now. There's all this potential. And I guess that's what gives United fans so much hope, isn't there? And obviously now we've had the news over the weekend that Ralph Rannick will not be continuing in this consultancy role that that was planned. There is a lot of change going on at Old Trafford. Do you understand all this optimism? Do you think United could actually be a force again next season? Or do you still think it is too big a task to close the gap on City and Liverpool? Oh, they they won't do that.
0: I, I would be absolutely floored if they somehow... Come close to to City or Liverpool, but but optimism is is understandable because their season has ended. It's it's amazing what can happen when United don't play in a week. And as you say, that they, they, they had some uh, that the, the support's mood was buoyed by Ten Hard's introduction and the way he conducted himself. And of course, most of all, really, with with Liverpool losing losing a final, uh, I, I think. It's, it still feels probably quite fresh in the memory for a lot of United fans four years ago when you had uh, Loris Karius um, gifting Real Madrid the, the European Cup. And uh, it was probably sweeter back then. And, and United had a, well, they did have a better season, much better season, getting finishing second and um, runs up in, in the FA Cup. But as far as the Rangnick uh, decision is concerned, I think the writing was was on the wall there as soon as, well, I think Ten Hag was asked about him in his fourth I looked it up today, 4th, 14th and 15th questions during his press conference. And it was in the answer to the 15th one when he was asked, do you endorse his, his consultancy role? And he said, that's on the club. And when he asked that, he thought, well, Rangnick is clearly not going to be there this time next year. And it turned out it wasn't even there this time next week. We're just recording this at one o'clock. Um, you know, it's... It's taken United under a week uh, for that decision to be made, and and the timing is sensible in that they didn't do it before uh, Ten Hag officially started work or actually arrived in Manchester. But I think as soon as Rangnik took on that Austrian national job, you knew he was he was not going to come anywhere near to surviving. Um, sorry, seeing out his his two year consultancy role. In the end, he didn't get anywhere near to two weeks as a consultant. The, the consultancy contract never. Well, it, was, it was ripped up before it even started. Whether it was re- even written up in the first place, I don't know. But Ten Hag and, and Rangnick um, had had a lengthy conversation on the phone. Um, their working relationship just really consisted of WhatsApp messages and and that co- telephone conversation. They never met in person, which again was was quite telling. And although Ten Hag said it's it's on the club. Uh, regarding Rangnick's role, it it clearly wasn't because he clearly had input in that as well. And the the buzzword during his press conference was analysis or analyse. And I think the the fourth question that was asked of him, which what I asked him was whether he went along with what Rangnick had said about needing 10 new players. And that was the time where he said, it's my analysis. And he was just warming up there. And I think that the next time Rangnick was mentioned, he wanted to really exert his authority, He's a disciplinarian, uh, as we know from, from speaking to people who've covered Ten Hag, which is good. Um, the fact that he's already shown an element of ruthlessness with with that decision, I mean, it's you know he, he he's clearly very very happy or very you know sanguine at the very least for Rangnick not to be at United anymore uh, shows that that he's decisive. Um, it's it's taken United un, under a week and him under a week to to see off Rangnick, if you like. I suppose the only caveat is that Rangnick, who will not be missed or mourned by pretty much anyone at United, apart from the media staff and us journalists because of his press conferences, but he was an objective troubleshooter who wasn't afraid to call out um, the, the, the various issues in that squad. And I suppose the only risk is that by completely removing him from the picture and just really disregarding his his own analysis of The squad, and he is a recruitment specialist, so he's he's one of the best people um, to 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 judge on the state of the United squad. There is a risk that they will be pandering to the players because some of those players just clearly Rangnick didn't just didn't fancy them, uh, rightly or wrongly. But now they might get a reprieve because Ten Hag has clearly disregarded Rangnick's assessment, and and he'll make his own analysis on. On those players, but they, they can't regress to that compliant culture that just you know it, it was it was as natural as um, breathing air under Ed Woodward, and it got them absolutely nowhere, and it turned them into a laughing stock. You, you just hope, for United's sake, that they are still
1: decisive as far as the squad changes go this summer interesting point that someone made there George and that you know I think fans have changed their tune now on Ranier because when you look back at him he had so much time in charge of the club and they didn't get any better he always seemed like someone who was better suited to ironically that consultancy role or a director of football role rather than a manager's role but there are a section of online supporters who do seem to think that you know he had a tough ask he inherited a squad you know that was fraught with problems lots of players wanting to leave he had his hands tied obviously wasn't backed in January either by the club from your own personal point of view, what is what is what do you think the legacy of Ranick at United will be? Do you think there are positives to take, or do you think it is just another just me- sort of crazy six months of Manchester United?
2: Well, I think obviously you've got to look at it from from both sides of the coin. Obviously, on the pitch, United regressed under him. There was so many poor performances, poor results. Obviously, they, the four 0 defeat at Brighton probably sticks out like a sore thumb as being the worst. But obviously, there were several others. So on the pitch, United, they obviously, they did regress under it. They, they did go backwards from when when he took over, under from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But at the same time, off the pitch, in, in terms of his honesty and his press conferences, some of it, I think, what was of, a, of good nature. I do think it was the right thing to do at times, possibly too far on some occasions. But as I wrote yesterday, he, he exposed the blazers almost in the sense that he called the shots for what needed to change, what mistakes had been made prior to him coming in and almost now you're left wondering if Eric Ten Hag will perhaps go back and analyse the advice that he said, but based on what uh, Ten Hag said in his press conference a week ago, he didn't seem overly keen on, on Ranyik's input, did he? But So we'll see on that one. But I think, personally, I think, obviously, off the pitch, I think him being around this summer would have potentially been a good thing for United, as Samuel said, his recruitment style is... He's very, very good. He's got a good track record in that department. That could have served United well this this coming summer. But at the same time, I do feel that, obviously, with how things went on the pitch, obviously, there was a lot of anger towards him from the supporters towards the end. And understandably so with what happened in those games under him. At the same time, you are wondering if getting rid of him now is a good thing for Ten Hag to completely start afresh with his own vision, literally starting from scratch again with him taking the reins of the whole lot and seeing how things go, working with John Murta and trying to get the recruitment on the on the, uh, on the right way around sort of thing after recent failures. But I do think you can judge it both ways. Obviously, on the pitch, it, it was a write-off. It was a big mistake. But off it, I do think he did do some good things. And obviously, people will, will have their own opinions on that and their own ways of looking at it. But I would say that overall, I think it is the right decision for the club and for Ten Hag to, for him to be out of the equation completely. But I do think on the other side, his input could have been valued this summer. So time will tell, but it's one of those, isn't it, where you, you kind of will never know what, what could have been. Like he says, well, we're a
1: new manager coming in. Whatever Ten Hag wants, whether it's on record or not, that is what has to happen. But maybe to be devil's advocate, red devil's advocate, however you want to put it, Samuel, the same people who hired Ralph Rennick are the ones who have hired Eric Ten Hag. Is that maybe a, yeah, a warning yeah. sign that things won't be getting better? Because Ranić was seen by many fans. I know that we maybe didn't see it ourselves, but lots of fans wanted Ranić at the time as, as interim manager. The,
0: they are. The, the, that specific set of fans are on a, a bad run at the moment, unfortunately. They were very, very uh, eager for United to sign Sergio on in the, the summer of 2020. And it looks like Tottenham are getting rid of him and they were very eager for them to then sign Alex Telles and you, you only, need I say any more? Uh, Rangnick was just given the wrong job. He he should have been made the director of football or the technical director or the head of football. They they literally did brief that as as three different role titles before they settled on football director and appointed someone um, in 2019 as part of that whole cultural reset. But he just did not fit in with the the compliant culture that was at the club. And of course, when they were starting that cultural reset, uh, which I don't like uttering the phrase, but that's what they refer to it as, um, they they intended to get a technical director in, but the technical director never arrived. It was still two years later until they just went for someone who was, who was internal. And at the time that John Murta was um, appointed the, the football director and Darren Fletcher, the technical director, in March of last year, they... They said that um, the reason why the the obvious candidates or the I suppose the, the the names that would appear on a bookies chalkboard didn't come into their thinking was because those names were synonymous with recruitment. So Rangnick was obviously always touted as a technical director or a DOF for United because of that, and with Murta, United saw his skill set extending beyond just recruitment because of the work he'd done. With the academy, which has laid down some very important groundwork and the academy is the best thing about the club and has been thriving. And he also oversaw the recruitment of the women's team in 2018. So they didn't want someone who was just a transfer guru or a transfer specialist. But then, of course, you fast forward eight months, would it have been? Um, and and Rangnick's coming in as as manager, which was the wrong role anyway. But with this consultancy tagged onto it, so clearly they wanted to tap into his his knowledge and his insight and his 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 specialty has has been recruitment. I know he's got a, a long coaching CV, and there are some, some some reasonable achievements in there. But he's someone who, although he did talk a very good game, he he played a terrible one at United and and shouldn't have been the club's manager. And it doesn't take a it doesn't take a lot with Man United for the manager to to come under the cosh, and you hope for Ten Hag's sake that he will have a relatively serene season in that whether I get Champions League or not, he he avoids a a, a, mammoth, a mammoth crisis um, that does that's not anywhere near on the level of the various crises they've had over the last nine months because if. If he's in that situation, people are going to suddenly question whether he's right for the role. And it also doesn't take a lot for anyone to bring up that his release clause at Ajax was £1.7 And Mauricio Pochettino would have cost about £15 million. Pounds. And then you start thinking, is this Um, Oleg Solskjaer, as a manager, cost United two instalments of Five hundred thousand pounds. He was actually cheaper as a manager than he was as a player in in nineteen ninety six. So there's there's a lot of pressure that comes with being Manchester United manager. Anyway, um, you know, I, I've I've said before that I still think Pochettino was the most suitable choice for that role. But I'd, I'd be happy to be proven wrong by Ten Hag if he is a successful manager for United because uh you just for our own lives it's it's a lot easier when united are doing well and it has been a, a draining nine months or so but as i said you, you can always envisage these scenarios just happening sooner or later i remember when we were in perth and we were discussing the merit of signing wambisaka and it was mm. clear then that Dallow was a better attacking right back and it doesn't take long for someone's you know If Wambasak has a couple of iffy games, Dello gets in the team. Now, it didn't happen particularly soon, but come the third season, it did happen and the manager was out of the picture. So whether it takes two months or two years, that pressure is always going to be on a manager unless they've got a body of evidence that says we're on an upward curve here. We're making progressive strides. I deserve the backing. And hopefully again for, for Ten Hag's sake and United's sake, he can do that and and somewhat mimic what what Klopp did in his first two or three years at Liverpool.
1: Yeah. Uh, George transfers are going to be a big part then for Ten Hag this summer as well. There's a, a lot of pieces in this jigsaw. He's just one of them. He's the poster boy of this new era, but you know, there's got to be changes on and off the pitch. In terms of transfers then, where do you stand on United's rebuild? Obviously, there, was, there were those Ranit comments that you mentioned you know, where they went a bit too far and said that they needed maybe 10 new signings this summer. That's, that is just not going to happen. That, that would never happen at a club that size, that they'd have such a seismic overhaul of players. But in terms of the positions United prioritise them, where would you say that the priority lies?
2: Well, obviously, as everybody's documented this season, obviously defensive midfield has got to be the the top priority. It's where United have been exposed most often this season. Obviously, Nemanja Matić is moving on, and the jury's still out on Fred. Scott McTominay has not lived up to the bill in this season, so it's certainly an area they've got to got to strengthen as a as a matter of priority. And obviously, Declan Rice has been touted for months and months, but that just seems a, a non-starter, doesn't it? With it being a complete budget buster, you would think for for where else United need to strengthen, obviously. Samuels wrote previously about interesting Calvin Phillips and possibly getting that one done. That would be a really, really good and upgrade on what they've seen this year. So that's certainly one area where Frankie de Jong's more of a progressive midfielder who will get on the ball and dictate games. So that's a, that for me is another area they need to strengthen with a kind of a natural number eight who can do a little bit of everything and get the ball up the pitch and create some magic and provide some support to Bruno Fernandes in, in uh, pulling the strings a little bit. But obviously, apart from midfield, I think there are several other areas. I think, obviously, you look at right-back and centre-back. They're really, really important areas. United have got to strengthen this. Obviously, Rich, I know you've been quite on the ball with the Pau Torres stories in the last couple of weeks and Ten Hogg has been consulted on that one. I think that would be a a solid sign. I think he's impressed at Villarreal. And obviously, coming to Manchester United, of course, is a step up for, for any player, really, whatever club they come from. So, Jury will be, yeah out on that one but Jurien Timber is obviously getting a lot of the traction regarding a defensive sign obviously known inside out by Eric Ten Hag at Ajax and kind of fits the bill I think for the, the direction United team need to take their recruitment in in the sense that he's a young player his best years are to come and there's the potential of course for a, for a resale value in years to come as well but obviously United are not renowned as being a selling club but I think Timber he, he kind of fits the bill in the sense that obviously he's played more games at centre-half than right-back this season. But I think there is the potential for him to switch to being a right-back and under Ten Hag and manager that he knows and, and knows his methods. That is probably the best best case for him to do it. Even, obviously, the Premier League is is a step up from the Eredivisie. So I think you've got to look at defensive midfield and those two positions at the back as a top priority. And then, of course, there's the the uh, the task of filling the gap that's going to be left by Ennison Cavani. Cristiano Ronaldo, by the sounds of it, is going to remain Eric Ten Hag's first-choice striker, and rightfully so. I've wrote about that this morning, saying that his his goals this season, basically where United would be without him, by my reckoning, they'd have finished 15th without his goals this season. So it's been quite a remarkable (laughs) drop-off. So uh, there's no chance of anybody coming in to, to take him out of the equation. So I think it's going to be a case similar to what Tottenham experienced with Harry Kane, trying to find somebody that's going to be prepared essentially to play second fiddle to him, certainly certainly next season at least. So that's one to watch in the sense that who do they get, who will be satisfied to not be starting every single week. So uh, it's going to be an interesting one, looking forward to it. And there's so much uncertainty as well, isn't there? Because it, you, you couldn't possibly pin who is going to fill this position, fill that position. So uh, it promises to be an interesting, but for, for us, probably a, a very busy summer.
1: Yeah, like George said there, it's going to be a busy summer. I guess the question United fans want to know the answer to is when can they expect that first signing? Obviously, it's less than a month now until United reconvene for the start of pre-season. Obviously, international stars won't be there on the 27th of June. The United have this track record of scoring of signing players whenever you go on holiday, Samuel. I believe you're yes. off next week. So <laughs> can we expect something next fortnight, do you think? Or do you still think that's a bit too, a bit too soon?
0: Yes, uh it seems that whenever I go abroad specifically in, in June, they, they sign a player. I think it's by in twenty sixteen, in twenty seventeen it was Lindelof. Twenty eighteen, uh I was, in, I was in Florida when Dallow signed as well. I think the Fred deal got done as well, but mm-hmm. Fred was already pretty much in the bag by that point. And then in twenty nineteen, I was I was still on holiday but I'd come back into the country uh and still off work when when Daniel James signed. So uh, it, it it does happen that's the track record um i mean don't don't shoot the messenger but from what i was told last week united weren't expecting anything imminent before the transfer window officially opens which i believe is is it the june 11th the 11th i think um you know there, there is an official opening date but that was that was the word coming out uh, from, from United last week. Uh, things, of course, can can change, but there, there was, there's there's of a lot of changes going on at United that have affected their, their their processes as regards to transfers. They settled on the managerial appointment in in late April, which um, seems late, but it, it wasn't really. I think that the fact that they they managed to get Ten Hag done. And they settled on their the managerial choice before the end of the season, which was the target as far back as January. Uh, was was important. They've done that. They'll have their targets lined up, they'll have a list from uh, the scouting that they've done prior to Ten Hag's appointment. But of course, it is still a new manager coming in and he will have his own preference of, of targets. Significant personnel have left as well. Um, you know, Marcel Boutz and, and Jim Lawler held the most senior titles and the scouting department so do you just disregard the recommendations they made Matt Judge has been the main transfer negotiator over the last six years um how, how I know he's he wasn't particularly successful and isn't particularly highly thought of by United supporters but he did a hell of a lot of work during that period getting getting deals done he wasn't the one targeting the players he was the one who was told to go out and execute them and it wasn't his fault either that United had that one-at-a-time strategy that really did hold them back in, in, in a number of windows. 2019 certainly comes to mind, and that was exacerbated because that it was one of those two summers where the transfer window ended early for Premier League clubs, but it was open until the end of August or the beginning of September for, for the rest of the European clubs. And, of course, situations change. Calvin Phillips... Seemed a lot more attainable a month or two ago when Leeds were on the downward spiral, but they've managed to stay up. And if Manchester City do indeed go for Calvin Phillips, why would he go to Man United when when Man City wants him? It, that that would be a, a no-brainer. He, he will leave Leeds sooner rather than later, I would imagine. If you know, if if, if a if a bid comes in this uh, this summer, he's about to change agents as well. When players do that. Nine times out of 10, it's with the intention of, of getting a move elsewhere. And I think he's only got two years left on his contract. Um, we, we discussed Frankie de Jong before, obviously, um, and the, the nuances with that, and that, that could be a slow burner. But I, I, I get why United fans, are, some are getting slightly impatient because they look at what City have done, getting Haaland in as early as they have done. Borussia Dortmund, I think, have signed four or five players already. Mm-hmm. Aston Villa have done two deals. That's a different, you know, those three clubs. It's quite a, in terms of the the dimension of those clubs, it's it's very different. It's quite a diverse field. So really, there's there's no excuse for United not to be getting deals done early, but traditionally they don't they don't do it that early, uh, bar from maybe the odd, you know, early June edition. Um, in, I think 2018 was a bit different with with Dallo and Fred coming in, but those two had release clauses, so that made those two deals a hell of a lot more doable. I think for United's sake, they need two minimum of two key signings in June. Just, I mean, preferably before the first day back in pre season. But if those players are internationals, they they're not going to be due in for that week of pre season training. Certainly not on the first day anyway. Um, Ten Hag's already said that there'll be a second batch of players that that come. That go back to Carrington, and of course the, the international calendar and the way it is this year, it's it's pretty preposterous. And that Scott McTominay could play, I think, maximum of five times for for Scotland this month, um, two World Cup qualifiers, and then after the World Cup qualifiers, whatever the whether he's feeling euphoric or deflated, he's then got three Nations League games to play as well. So it's not it's not ideal for any of the internationals. I don't think many United fans will necessarily have much sympathy for them, but. Call it sympathy for the devil. It's not great for the players to be in that position, especially someone like James Garner. He's going to be on England under-21 duty, but I think their second game is on the 13th or the 14th of June. So that means that he's going to be part of that second batch that uh, arrive at Carrington. So he's not going to have too much time to train under 10 Hag before United fly off to Bangkok, which I believe is due to be on, on July, July the 8th, which I think is only... This is how crazy it is, it's five weeks on Friday. <laughs> so, yeah. so the the summers the summers get shorter with every year.
1: George, speaking of James Garner, then one of the highlights for United in the last few weeks as well has been, you know, watching him in the playoffs. He was excellent at Wembley for Nottingham Forest as they defeated Huddersfield on Sunday, back in the Premier League. And James Garner, no matter which club he's at, looks destined to be playing in the top flight next season. I guess the question now is, do you loan him out either to Forest or to another Premier League club? Or do you give him a look at in pre-season and maybe keep him at United next term as well? I know he said previously that he just wants to be playing football. From United's United point of view, just how good is James Garner and do you think that he'd benefit from another loan or do you think he would be better off sort of being a fringe option for United next season?
2: It's a really difficult one to answer, to be honest with you, because I think there's there's two ways of looking at this. Um, obviously, first of all, reflecting on his performance at Wembley on Sunday, he, he was terrific. He was, For me, he was, he was Forrest's best player on the pitch. He, he was obviously instrumental in the goal, um, went close to getting an assist before the goal when Ryan Yates put a header just wide, um, frequently tracked back. Some solid defensive contributions and it kind of epitomised just the amount, the amount of progress he's made this season. He's been terrific in the job that Steve Cooper's done at Nottingham Forest and obviously Cooper knew him from his days working with the youth set up in the England squad so it was kind of a blessing for James Garner that Steve Cooper came in a few weeks after he'd gone back to Forest and obviously it's ended up in him adding a first promotion to the CV but in terms of his future now, obviously Eric Ten Hag as Samuels wrote this morning, he's going to have a look at him with his own eyes and analyse him over pre-season to get a feel of what he could bring to the table for United next season. Obviously, there's going to be a massive upheaval in central midfield and for, for James Garner, that could only be a good thing in the chance that he might get a get a sniff in pre-season to show what he's all about. And personally, I think you you look at it and you think pre-season is a, a golden opportunity for him to to prove his worth. And at 21, he's got bags of potential about him. I've been really, really impressed with him this season. I've seen a lot of him. And I kind of look at it and think, is he going to be a regular starter for United next season? Even though midfield has been a problematic area this summer, uh, this season, rather, I would say that he's not guaranteed to be a starter every single week. Obviously, Donny van der Beek is to come back in as well. And who knows what 10 has got up his sleeve for him. So I think there's parallels to what Manchester United did with Dean Henderson back in 2018 when they sent him out on loan to Sheffield United for a second time when they got promoted. And obviously he played at a key role in United's really, uh, really good first season back in the Premier League and it benefited him for a full season of Premier League football. But obviously, it's very different for a goalkeeper to, to a midfielder and United have got big changes to make him in midfield. So, I think for James Garner, I personally think if he's got ambitions of playing every single week, starting week in, week out, I personally think another another loan move to Nottingham Forest would be perfect for him where he'd obviously learn the trade of playing in the Premier League every week and playing in a in a place where he's going to feel loved, valued, knows the way of playing and has got a chance to kick on and return to United in the summer of 2023 even better. But if Ten Hag's got big plans for him, we know that he, Ten Hag's quite a quite a good manager when it comes to developing youngsters and embedding them in and it's, it's kind of makes it difficult to, to weigh up. But for me, I think personally, I think he would benefit from another loan spell at Forest or another Premier League club I know, I've seen over the weekend Southampton and Leeds apparently are interested in Leicester as well. So, for me, I think another low move. But personally, if he was to do that, I think he would be best going back to Forest in a place where he knows. The manager clearly rates him very, very highly. And then from 2023 onwards, when he's had that year's worth of Premier League experience, Ten Hag can perhaps throw him into the equation. But at the same time, does Ten Hag see him as a player that's going to be a, a midfielder for him in the long run? And does he want him to learn... What he's going to ask of his players from the very off this summer, so it's a difficult one. But whatever happens, Man United have got a very, very talented midfielder there for the future.
1: Samuel, you've also written last week. You know that there's going to be a few youngsters who get a chance in preseason, not just Ghana, but obviously with the internationals. That gives the chance for some of the academy players as well to to impress the new manager. Anyone in particular that you think might actually have a realistic chance of getting into the first team next season or at the start of the season at least? Or do you think that as soon as the senior players come back, the likes of maybe Medbury, Garnacha will drop back down to under 23s? Or do you think there is a real possibility that they will get a chance?
0: I I certainly think, excuse me, that that there's there's potential for some of them to get proper squad play places, proper promotions. I mean, Mejbury pretty much has been bumped up to the first team permanently. It's it's a little bit peculiar on the club website in that it doesn't take a lot for them to just add a young player to the first team squad. I think they did it with Ted and Mengi at the start of last season and I'm not sure he's even played as he since the the Linz game, which was his debut. I'm struggling to think if he's had a, an appearance since. But literally since they put him into the first team section on the, the website... It seems like he's not actually played for the United first team, so it's not always a reliable gauge of a youngster's status. I think show the short series also on that first team section. Alvaro Fernandez is as well. And Fernandez is still rather inexplicably not not made his debut. A lot of it will be dependent on how proactive United are with outgoings, and and also how ruthless Ten Hag is. There's obviously an argument that you take these players abroad, these players that are unwanted and don't want to be at the club, you take them abroad to maintain the resale value. Um, and that that's going to be a test of United, whether they really do care about resale value with certain players where they could get a decent fee for, or they just think, you know what, well, cut the losses, let's, let's just keep them out of the picture and go from there. It, it didn't really particularly work with Romelu Lukaku, in 2019 where whatever the city whatever the continent he seemed to have some sort of injury or ailment and it was pretty clear he wasn't injured or suffering any kind of ailment he was just refusing to play and then lo and behold he he, he signed for Inter Milan land when when united got back to the uk and, and united sold him at a, at a loss uh, only only two years on from from signing him from from um Everton it was, wasn't it? So I don't think that's always necessarily advisable. And also it just rubs it rubs fans up the wrong way. Mm. And furthermore, United are so bad at selling players that it seems like with United, it's relevant that the further they are away from a buying club, the less likely it is that they'd actually end up there anyway. So it's probably advisable to keep whatever players Ten Hag does not want in the squad next season in, in England and, and really... You know, I think if he was to do that and to pull rank and, and show who's boss, he's going to, ha- I mean, you know, United fans are on his side already anyway, but that's that's another, that's something else that's going to get the United fans going and they're going to be even more supportive uh, towards him. There, there are certain players, as I said, that they could get decent fees for, but I mean, what, how, how would you define decent? They're, they're, they're going to be making a loss on whoever sold but that's the trouble they they are not very good at selling players and whether it's marshall or bai uh, phil jones has next to no resale value is is there any point taking him out there probably not wambisaka knows that he's not part of the plans next season everyone knows he's not part of the plans next season his his camp it seems have made that as, as clear as, uh, as as possible. So why would you take him to to Thailand and Melbourne and Perth? It, it, it's just that that would be illogical. You might as well take Ethan Laird instead and see what he's all about and see if he can um, cut it in a first team environment over a two week period. And maybe that could be the making of him. It was it was unfortunate for him that he was his injury, that he had these injury issues at, at Bournemouth. And he didn't quite have the fulfilling season. On learning the championship, as as many would have anticipated, but I, I certainly don't think he's he's a write off as far as um, as United is concerned because al- although they clearly do need a new right back and the club are opening in signing a right back, the priorities are the midfield, the attack, probably a centre back ahead of that as well. So there's every chance they will go this summer without signing a right back, and that might open you know, that might create an opening for for Ethan Laird as well. But that first week of pre-season training is is going to be crucial. It's it's going to be very different to to last summer with the Euros when on that first day of training at Carrington, I think Joe Hugel was there and Ethan Galbraith, Dylan Levitt. You knew with those players they were not going to be in the first team set up in in August. I think it could be a little bit different this time because United have got, I I think, I counted 15 players on international duty in June Senior players, I mean, Gainaccio's at the under-20 tournament, uh, the Toulon tournament, and Garner's on under-21 duty. Uh, so those two and, and 13 other full-time internationals. So there, there will be opportunities just because they're going to have to make up the numbers by bringing some players over from, from the academy building to, to participate in first-team training. But some of those players have got potential and really have, do, do deserve to be on, on the plane going to Thailand but again it does depend on on outgoings and incomings and you can imagine what the mood among United supports will be like if you know, come departure date on July the 8th there are no incomings whatsoever I think it might be
1: an end of days um, scenario on Twitter. George final question for you then maybe listening to podcasts podcast not we'll know that you you know, you've got a fond interest in the Championship. You host a podcast on the Championship yourself. You've mentioned Ghana. who you've watched a lot of times this season. You know, what is it now, three years since United bought Dan James from the Championship? You know, Jared Bowen's gone from Hull to West Ham. And he's really taken the Premier League by storm. You can you can get some good buys from the second tier. You know some bargain buys, maybe not players who'll go straight into the first team, but you know there's always going to be exceptions. Is there anyone else in the Championship that maybe you'd be suggesting to United now? Ralph rannick has gone. Your own consultancy to the transfer board.
2: Well, there's certainly plenty of talent in that division. That is for sure. We've seen it in the past, haven't we? With several players that have made this step up. I mean, you mentioned Jared Bowen there, and I'm thinking Mikael Antonio as well. He was a championship player not that long ago. But the, there is several really, really talented players. And I actually wrote on Saturday about how United perhaps missed a trick in not with Michael Alise when he was at Reading last year. So you've, you've put me on the spot in thinking about players that are available now. I would I have think- said... Brent- we yeah, Brendan Brennan Johnson, and Johnson and Jed Spence, but obviously, we talk about a lot season, obviously we? now Premier League players themselves. Well, certainly Brennan Johnson is obviously Jed Spence back to Middlesbrough. So that could—you never know—it could be one that United look at. Obviously, Tottenham are apparently interested, and obviously Forrest will want to bring him back. But I think for United, obviously, with even though they need to change their recruitment style and go for younger players with a point to prove. And I know, obviously, Rich, you've said this one about on uh, out Dan Juma another one that came from the Championship to Villarreal. So there is talent to be had there, but I feel for United fans, are they going to be kind of uninspired by players coming in from the Championship? When obviously They've got ambitions to get back on even keel with Liverpool and City, even if that's obviously quite a few years away yet, you would think. So it's certainly a league that I think United can have a good look round. There, There is players in there that have got potential about them. And I mean... James Garner's proven this season that the championship it is a really, really competitive league. There's nothing easy about it. You've got to be up and at it to perform in that league. It's it's just constant, constant games, isn't it? It's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. So I think it's worth having a look. But I think off the top of my head, you've put me on the spot with players that we could <laughs> target. I do, I do think Jed Spence is certainly one that you never know might creep into the the conversation of some United fans. I've seen a few fans already discussing it. Now obviously um he's gone back to Middlesbrough with his loan spell at Forest O, but Forrest you would imagine going to try and give absolutely everything they've got to try and get him back permanently. So time will tell but I think I think players such as Dan Juma, it's that sort of mold that United should be looking at that the players are up and coming. They've still got their best to give and they haven't quite reached the pinnacle where in the past, United have turned to players like Angel Di Maria and Alexis Sanchez and have kind of reached the very top already and then and then fail. I think they need to be looking at players who are keen to kick on, haven't got much baggage about them in terms of a big ego and, and take it from there. But it's certainly going to be an interesting summer. And I'm confident with Eric Ten Hag at the helm, obviously, his, his eye for young talent, what he's done at Ajax. I do think they could unearth a couple of gems that come quite left field.
1: Yeah, once again, it is all about personality. And on the topic of Jed Spence, if you haven't seen his tweets, his tweet hitting back at Neil Warnock today, I would, I'd highly recommend you giving <laughs> that a view. No, um, Samuel, then, final question for you. This week, can we expect any movement at all from United, or do you think it will just be more murmurings of what might be in the pipeline?
0: Um, yeah, I, I suspect the latter. They, they're certainly expecting the latter, but as I said earlier, things can change. Um, I, I am working this week, so that, that might <laughs> that might he- hex their chances, I suppose, of, of, of signing a player. I need to get out of the country before someone actually does does join the club. But it could be just another quiet week. It's also, with the internationals going on, I can imagine that's another excuse that United could could play as to mm. signing a player or holding up a deal. But that said, four years ago, Fred was playing for Brazil, I think, at Anfield in a friendly, and that was it was during. I think it was around that game he he went to Carrington to, to do his medical, and then the deal was announced a couple of weeks later. I think that's the way it panned out, anyway. So you never know, but I, I I'm certainly the word from United is is that there's nothing imminent expected um, before the transfer window officially opens, but as I said, things could change.
1: Yeah, things could change. If they do change, you will hear about them first on the Manchester Evening News website. So make sure you follow us on our social medias and keep track of the website daily as well. George, Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester's Red podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rich. And thank you very much for listening wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we will see you again next time.